Welcome to September 24th. We're on day 266 of Bible in a Year with Bill. My name is Bill. Today, we're going back to the New Testament just for a day. We're going to read the book of Titus. Now, Paul writes to Titus, who is a pastor serving in Crete, to advise him both on what to teach the churches and on how to organize them especially with false teachers around. As we go through this book, let's note God's concern for proper order in the church and for true teaching about Christ. So today we're going to read that wonderful letter from Paul to Titus, and then we're going to finish off today's reading with Isaiah chapter 10. So let's get right into it. Paul's letter to Titus chapter 1. I, Paul, am God's slave and Christ's agent for promoting the faith among God's chosen people, getting out the accurate word on God and how to respond rightly to it. My aim is to raise hopes by pointing the way to life without end. This is the life God promised long ago, and he doesn't break promises. And then when the time was ripe, he went public with his truth. I've been entrusted to proclaim this message by order of our Savior, God himself. Dear Titus, legitimate son in the faith, receive everything God, our Father, and Jesus, our Savior, give you. I left you in charge in Crete so you could complete what I left half done. Appoint leaders in every town according to my instructions. As you select them, ask, Is this man well thought of? Is he committed to his wife? Are his children believers? Do they respect him and stay out of trouble? It's important that a church leader responsible for the affairs in God's house be looked up to, not pushy, not short-tempered, not a drunk, not a bully, not money-hungry. He must welcome people, be helpful, wise, fair, reverent, have a good grip on himself, and have a good grip on the message, knowing how to use the truth to either spur people on in knowledge or stop them in their tracks if they oppose it. For there are a lot of rebels out there, full of loose, confusing, and deceiving talk. Those who were brought up religious and ought to know better are the worst. They've got to be shut up. They're disrupting entire families with their teaching, and all for the sake of a fast buck. One of their own prophets said it best. The Cretans are liars from the womb, barking dogs, lazy bellies. He certainly spoke the truth. Get on them right away. Stop that diseased talk of Jewish make-believe and made-up rules so they can recover a robust faith. Everything is clean to the clean-minded. Nothing is clean to dirty-minded unbelievers. They leave their dirty fingerprints on every thought and act. They say they know God, but their actions speak louder than their words. They're real creeps, disobedient, good-for-nothings. Titus chapter 2 Your job is to speak out on the things that make for solid doctrine. Guide older men into lives of temperance, dignity, and wisdom, into healthy faith, love, and endurance. Guide older women into lives of reverence so they end up as neither gossips nor drunks, but models of goodness. By looking at them, the younger women will know how to love their husbands and children, be virtuous and pure, keep a good house, be good wives." We don't want anyone looking down on God's message because of their behavior. Also, guide the young men to live disciplined lives. But mostly, show them all this by doing it yourself. Incorruptible in your teaching, your words solid and sane. 
Then anyone who is dead set against us, when he finds nothing weird or misguided, might eventually come around. Guide slaves into being loyal workers, a bonus to their masters. No backtalk, no petty thievery. Then their good character will shine through their actions, adding luster to the teaching of our Savior God. God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation's available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting right now and is whetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. Tell them all this. Build up their courage and discipline them if they get out of line. You're in charge. Don't let anyone put you down. Titus chapter 3 Remind the people to respect the government and be law-abiding, always ready to lend a helping hand. No insults, no fights. God's people should be big-hearted and courteous. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our King and loving Savior God, stepped in, He saved us from all that. It was all His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. I want you to put your foot down, take a firm stand on these matters, so that those who have put their trust in God will concentrate on the essentials that are good for everyone. Stay away from mindless, pointless quarreling over genealogies and fine print in the law code. That gets you nowhere. Warn a quarrelsome person once or twice, but then be done with him. It's obvious that such a person is out of line, rebellious against God. By persisting in divisiveness, he cuts himself off. As soon as I send either Artemis or Tychicus to you, come immediately and meet me in Nicopolis. I've decided to spend the winter there. Give Zenas, the lawyer, and Apollos a hearty send-off. Take good care of them. Our people have to learn to be diligent in their work so that all necessities are met, especially among the needy, and they don't end up with nothing to show for their lives. All here want to be remembered to you. Say hello to our friends in the face. In the faith, grace to all of you. And now let's finish off today's reading with Isaiah chapter 10. Doom to you who legislate evil, who make laws that make victims, laws that make misery for the poor, that rob my destitute people of dignity, exploiting defenseless widows, taking advantage of homeless children. What will you have to say on Judgment Day when Doomsday arrives out of the blue? Who will you get to help you? What good will your money do you? A sorry sight you'll be then, huddled with the prisoners, or just some corpses stacked in the street. Even after all this, God is still angry, his fists still raised, ready to hit them again. Doomed to Assyria, weapon of my anger, my wrath is a cudgel in his hands. 
I send him against a godless nation, against the people I'm angry with. I command him to strip them clean, rob them blind, and then push their faces in the mud and leave them. But Assyria has another agenda. He has something else in mind. He's out to destroy utterly, to stamp out as many nations as he can. Assyria says, aren't my commanders all kings? Can't they do whatever they like? Didn't I destroy Kalno as well as Carchemish? Hamath as well as Arpad? Level Samaria as I did Damascus? I've eliminated kingdoms full of gods far more impressive than anything in Jerusalem and Samaria. So what's to keep me from destroying Jerusalem in the same way I destroyed Samaria and all her god idols? When the master has finished dealing with Mount Zion in Jerusalem, he'll say, Now it's Assyria's turn. I'll punish the bragging arrogance of the king of Assyria, his high and mighty posturing the way he goes around, saying, I've done all this by myself. I know more than anyone. I've wiped out the boundaries of whole countries. I've walked in and taken anything I wanted. I charged in like a bull and toppled their kings from their thrones. I reached out my hand and took all that they treasured as easily as a boy taking of bird's eggs from a nest. Like a farmer gathering eggs from, a, from the hen house, I gathered the world in my basket, and no one so much as fluttered a wing or squawked or even chirped. Does an axe take over from the one who swings it? Does a saw act more important than the sawyer, as if a shovel did its shoveling by using a ditch digger? as if a hammer used the carpenter to pound nails. Therefore, the master, god of the angel armies, will send a debilitating disease on his robust Assyrian fighters under the canopy of God's bright glory. A fierce fire will break out. Israel's light will burst into a conflagration. The god, the holy, will explode into a firestorm and in one day burn to cinders every last Assyrian thornbrush. God will destroy the splendid trees and lush gardens. The Assyrian body and soul will waste away to nothing like a disease-ridden invalid. A child could count what's left of the trees on the fingers of his two hands. And on that day also, what's left of Israel, the ragtag survivors of Jacob, will no longer be fascinated by abusive, battering Assyria. They'll lean on God, the holy, yes, truly. The ragtag remnant, what's left of Jacob, will come back to the strong God. Your people Israel were once like the sand on the seashore, but only a scattered few will return. Destruction is ordered, brimming over with righteousness, for the master, God of the angel armies, will finish here what he started all over the globe. Therefore, the master, God of the angel army, says, My dear, dear people who live in Zion, don't be terrorized by the Assyrians when they beat you with clubs and threaten you with rods like the Egyptians once did. In just a short time, my anger against you will be spent and I'll turn my destroying anger on them. I, God of the angel armies, will go after them with a cat of nine tails and finish them off decisively as Gideon downed Midian at the rock Oreb, as Moses turn the tables on Egypt. On that day, Assyria will be pulled off your back and the yoke of slavery lifted from your neck. Assyria is on the move, up from Rimon, onto Ayath, through Migron, with a Beoak at Michmash. They've crossed the pass. Set camp at Geba for the night. Ramah trembles with fright. Gibeah of Saul has run off. Cry for help, daughter of Galim. Listen to her. Laisha, do something, Anathoth. Madmina takes to the hills. The people of Gebim flee in panic. 
The enemies, the enemies soon at Nob, nearly there. In sight of the city, he shakes his fist at the mount of dear daughter Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. But now watch this. The master, God of the angel army, swings his axe and lops the branches, chops down the giant trees, lays flat the towering forest on the march. His axe will make toothpicks of that forest, that Lebanon-like army reduced to kindling. And so God, master, God of the angel armies who swings your axe and chops down the giant trees. God, I pray that you would bless this reading today. Thank you so much for this reading. And thank you, my friends, for joining me today. I hope you got something out of this. I will see you tomorrow. Take care now.